Good morning. My name's Andy, um, and I will be reading God's word for us this morning. Um, the passage comes from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and we're going to beginning. We're going to begin at the first verse. Um, if you're reading along in the church Bibles, it's on page 1,198. 1,198. I'll give you a few minutes just to flick there. Um, And as you do, why don't I pray? Our Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we've heard this morning that as you speak, no syllable is empty or void. And we know that when your word goes out, it does not go out and return to you empty. We pray that um, as we hear your word now, that it would bear much fruit in our lives that we might live to honour you and honour your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Stu, if we haven't met, uh, and it's lovely to be able to visit at 10. I'm here every week, usually. I'm just out there with the kiddies, and so it's nice having some grown-up time, some grown-up conversation, Uh, so thanks for having me. Um, This week, we're finishing up our Stories of Grace series, where we've been plucking out some lesser-known characters from the Bible uh, and finding out how God's grace changed their life. And this week, we've picked out Timothy. Now, unlike Hezekiah last week, Timothy does have a couple of books in the Bible named after him. Nice one. Uh, Though he didn't write them, Uh, they're letters to him. And even though he has those two letters uh, written to him, there's really not a whole stack written about him in the rest of the scriptures. Although there's one thing that's kind of the commonly known thing about Timothy. He's the youth guy. He's the Bible's youth pastor. Uh, If you've ever been to a youth group, Bible study on leadership or a graduation at a Christian school or a confirmation service, then it's almost a certainty that you've seen a particular verse, probably with some questionably cool graphics to go along with it. 
Here you go. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. Yeah, that's right. Old people, stop looking down on me. I'm young. The Bible says, quit it. That's generally the, the kind of vibe that Timothy comes with, the young guy uh, who uh, has lots to say to young people. And so for the official youth guy of the New Testament, we've wheeled out the youth guy here at church, and it's lovely to be able to uh, make it a good fit today. Uh, and today, with Timothy, we're focusing on young people, and what a wonderful thing to be able to have the Lord's Supper with the kids in earlier uh, as we focus in on our young folk. Uh, and we're focusing on them and spending a bit of time thinking about them, because being young is tricky. Being young is tough. Uh, now, we've all been teenagers at some point, unless you're smaller. You'll get there one day. Uh, and I certainly had my own moments as a cranky teenager. Here's a picture of me at 16 years old. See how kooky I am wearing my sister's jumper? Wow, this guy. Uh, and I'm sure that, like me, you had moments in your teenage years where life was just hard. Life was too Hard dealing with school and friends and parents and teachers and romance and figuring out who you are. Life gets complicated and hard for teens. Yet for some reason, kind of like what Colin was saying in his video, teens think they know it all. And certainly teenage Stu thought he knew it all. And the thing that I knew is that my life was tough and no one gets me. That was kind of my thing. It's kind of a pretty regular teenage thing, isn't it? Being young is tough, and there is hardships in there. It is tricky. It's always been tough. But some part of me thinks that it's getting tougher. This week, I'm sure you've seen in the news something about Andrew Thorburn, who was appointed CEO of Essendon Football Club and resigned within 24 hours after outcry about his involvement with a controversial church, uh, which is very similar to our own church. Uh, in fact, it turns out Andrew used to be a member here. If you read Bruce's email, the fount of all knowledge, you would have known that. And so there you go. Uh, he was a member here back in the day. Uh, and Thorburn, he was uh, removed from this position or removed himself from this position, not because of anything he said or did, but because of his association with the church. That's not unlike ours. Tricky. There's lots going on in the background there, but the public conversation around it honestly got me feeling a bit nervous. Usually I'm pretty optimistic about these kind of things and think maybe it's not as bad as people think, but my mind went straight to my little girl, 18 months old, Stevie, and I thought, man, it's going to be tough for her to grow up as a Christian in a culture that just doesn't like Christians. I wonder if you've been thinking anything similar in the news this week. How can our young people grow up as Christians in a culture that isn't happy with them being Christians? Is it just going to be too tough? Are the stats in our census going to keep on decreasing and see no young people following Jesus anymore? Well, Timothy's story of grace has some things to say to our young people and to our not-so-young people. Uh, and we're going to use 2 Timothy 2 to guide us through that. So keep your Bibles open there. But first of all, we need to figure out who exactly is this Timothy bloke? Well, he first pops up in Acts chapter 16, which is really the kind of biggest slogger text we have about him in the Bible. Uh, and it says there, 
Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So Timothy, young man, joins Paul's missionary journey. And the kind of best reference I've been able to come up with to describe who Timothy is like is that he's kind of like the early church version of Alexander Hamilton. Any, any fans of the, the smash hit musical in the room? Ooh, not many, okay. Maybe this afternoon these jokes are going to land better because I'm sorry, there's a bunch of lyrics that we're going to reference that talk about Timothy and Alexander Hamilton. Anyway, go and watch the musical, you'll find this hilarious. I'm very clever. Um, both Timothy and Alexander, and Alexander Hamilton were relatively big nobodies. They were young, scrappy, and hungry. Nothing that special about them. Timothy is this young guy from a mixed family, which really didn't fit in in the way that the church was kind of set up at its start. Now, both of them got caught up in the start of a big new movement. Alexander Hamilton, of course, was the revolution in America, and they were not giving away their shot. Timothy joins Paul and he works with him uh, in this early movement of the church, this Jesus movement, telling people about the risen Savior. And those around both of these guys saw that they were good at what they did. They saw that they worked nonstop. Timothy he had a reputation as a good, solid Christian, even at the town next door to his own. Pretty good. And both became the right-hand man of the guy in charge. Now, Paul took Timothy under his wing, and he even wrote to the Philippians, he had no one like Timothy. And both were in the room where it happened. They were both at the center of this new movement and really got to see the inner workings. Timothy himself got to learn off the Apostle Paul and be a a really substantial part of this early church movement. Now that's about where the similarities stop. Don't look any more into the history of Alexander Hamilton, bit of a shady guy. Uh, Timothy, good guy. Yeah, nice. Uh, So Timothy tags along, he travels, visits churches as Paul's representative, and he's eventually sent to look after his own little clump of churches, even though he's a young guy. Uh, And along the way, he really develops this close relationship with Paul. He's taken in under his wing, and in uh, the letters to Timothy, Paul calls Timothy, my true son in the faith, and my dear son, really kind of close familial words, lovely. Uh, and we see this closeness again in the whole letter of 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is probably Paul's last letter that he wrote. He's in prison again, uh, about to be executed. Uh, and a whole bunch of his previous supporters, they've abandoned him. There's been too much in and out of prison for them to handle. They've given up on Paul. And so Timothy, Paul, and the early church, they're facing tough times. They're in a culture which isn't happy with them and their message. And it's into this situation that Paul writes Timothy's second letter, which we'll have a look at. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. What is the first instruction that Paul has for this troubled young Christian? Paul writes, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And really, this could be the line, the byline of our whole Stories of Grace series, couldn't it? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The big thing that Paul wants Timothy to do in the face of all this trouble is to be strong in grace. 
That's a, that's a pretty unnatural thing for young men to want to be strong in, right? The way their brains are wired doesn't really point them that way. They usually want to be strong in themselves. Now, I live just at the back of church here, and every Friday and Saturday night, as the pub's empty, I get to hear and see young men being strong in themselves, trying to prove to each other that they are the stronger in themselves. Interesting viewing. Uh, but Paul, he doesn't want Timothy to be strong in himself, in his own power or brains or charisma. He wants him to be strong in the grace of Jesus. And if there's one thing that I want for all our young people here at St. Matt's, and indeed for all of us, is that we would be strong in the grace of Jesus. Now Paul reminds Timothy about this grace he re-explains what this grace is. Just back a page in chapter 1, verse 9. Have a look there. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense indeed, the undeserved gift of life. That's what Timothy is to be strong in, the pinnacle of history where God reunites himself to his people and makes a way back to him for them. It's the foundation of everything that we do here. It's the foundation of everything that's in our Bibles. And it's why we cannot ever allow ourselves to get bored of grace. Sometimes it's tempting to think, yeah, grace, I've heard that before. Jesus died for me. I don't deserve it. I'm a big sinner. Yep, yep, yep. Let's get on something a bit more meaty. But we never graduate from grace. We need to keep on reminding ourselves just how earth-shattering it is that the Lord of all creation would reach down and love these broken people and through no effort of their own, bring them back into his fold. All Christians need to be strong in grace, in the face of challenge. And the work of Jesus' grace in Timothy, the way that Jesus molds Timothy into being a man like himself, is why Paul could write to him that famous passage in 1 Timothy 4. Not just the don't let anyone look down on you part, but the next. Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. As trying really hard, or studying lots of books, or being from the right family, or turning up to church enough times, or going on all the leadership development camps, they would never enable Timothy to set an example in all those things. Only one thing would. Grace. God working in Timothy, even though he did not deserve it. I fast forward a bit, and it seems like Timothy kept up those things. It seems like God really worked through the grace that he'd given him. It seemed like Timothy was strong in the grace because he became the bishop of Ephesus, and he helped guide the church through these murky early days when everything was getting set up. Not through his own strength, through his strength in the grace of Jesus. And Boy, do I need to remind myself of that grace regularly. How often do I just grit my teeth and try and push through a challenge in my own strength? 
How often do I just automatically start working out how to solve a situation rather than praying? How often do I stress and worry about the uncertainty of the future and how I could possibly make it as a Christian or how, how our young people could make it as a Christian in this world instead of reminding myself of the grace that started it all and the grace that kicked off a church in a world that is far more hostile than ours? Be strong in grace. It's a firm foundation in a world of change and uncertainty for Timothy and for us. But Timothy's story of grace also shows us the essential role that often older people have, or less young, sorry, in passing on grace. In verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Pass on that grace. Did you know that the plural of octopus is octopuses, not octopi? My wife, Andy, hates octopuses. Now, it's not necessarily their creepy eight arms that can grow back if you cut them off, or their spooky, lifeless eyes, or the fact that they have beaks. It's a sea creature and it has a beak that freaks me out. No, Andy is far more concerned with their complex brains and problem-solving capacity. Octopus facts. Two-thirds of an octopus's neurons are in its arms. Now, that means an octopus's arms can kind of act independently and do different things at the same time. That means they can be eating a little clam over here and plotting world takeover over here. And to quote Andy, the only thing that has stopped octopuses taking over the world and mankind is the fact that there's no intergenerational transfer of knowledge. More octopus facts. After reproducing, an octopus simply floats away into the ocean and dies. Mum and dad. Sucks to be them. But it's great to be us. God knew what he was doing when he made octopuses. No intergenerational transfer of knowledge means no world takeover. Rest easy, Andy. And Timothy's story of grace is the exact opposite of that. We heard in Acts, Timothy's mother was a Jew who had come to believe in Jesus and taught him. He didn't have the, the magical message of grace just drop into him out of nowhere. It was passed on to him by his family. Uh, earlier in this letter, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Very unlike octopuses, grace was passed down to Timothy through intergenerational transfer of knowledge. And Timothy's story is not unlike mine. Even in name, actually, my grandmother's sister's name is Lois, which I think counts. Close enough. Now, my grandmother taught my mum about grace. And my mum taught me about grace. Really, the person who had the biggest impact on me as a young believer was my mum. And if there was ever a Bible verse that upheld the office of mum in high esteem, it's this one, isn't it? Timothy, this young leader who had a profound impact on the early church, would not have been there without his mum's faithful teaching. 
So all of us here who are parents and grandparents, we're we're called to the same high office. Passing on grace to your kids is one of the most profound things you could do. That's why the Bible's packed full of instruction about teaching kids about God. Now what this looks like in our homes obviously changes as our kids age and grow. And whether it's kids or grandkids, a great place to start is books before bed. There are wonderful Christian books full of beautiful illustrations and beautiful truths about God. Uh, My pick at the moment of kids' Bibles is the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I read a chapter to Stevie of every night. It's so wonderfully simple and beautifully put together, and it's not uncommon for Andy to walk in with, uh, to me with Stevie on my lap, reading the Bible with me crying while she's just sitting there, not, you know, just looking at the pictures, because there's been a wonderful moment of grace that's leapt out of the page at me in a profound, beautiful way that was just simple and easy to get. So maybe just go and buy one of those books for yourself. I want my little girl to be captured by that beauty. I want her to be strong in that grace. So we read Christian books all the time. Now, books aren't every kid's favorite thing, especially as they get a bit older. And so maybe reading a bedtime book isn't the way to go. But instead, think about the way that you can fit reading the Bible into your family life, into the pattern of the day or week, getting everyone onto the table for a meal and then open the Bible afterwards, read it, talk about it. If you don't know where to start, you can Google the YouthWorks 555 Challenge. They email you a little pack that has five weeks of devotions, five days a week, five minutes a day. Gives you a passage and some questions to talk through uh, that you can uh, go through with your kids. What a wonderful way to pass on that grace. Now, of course, in an ideal world, we'd gather the kiddies around and they'd sit there eyes sparkling as we expounded the Gospels to them. But we know that that's not how kids work. We're raising little sinners, and so things don't go to plan. And so if sitting down and reading or having a discussion just seems like it's too much chaos for your house, then just take one step at a time. Put a Colin Buchanan song on in the car. Say grace before a meal. Talk about what they've learned in Sunday school on the way home from church each week. Be at church each week. Show them that this is part of your rhythm of life. Talk about Jesus' things. What a wonderful way for a household to be full of grace so that it's passed on. But it's not just a biological family that passed grace on to Timothy. It was the family of believers as well. Now, Timothy's dad probably wasn't a believer. Our passage in Acts says he was a Greek. Probably didn't subscribe to this whole Jesus thing if he was even alive at the time. But Timothy still had a spiritual father. Timothy was taught and nurtured by Paul as they traveled and worked together in the gospel. And onto this foundation that was laid by his family, Paul was able to pass on more and more grace. So if you don't have kids of your own, you still have children to teach. Because the kids and the youth of St. Matt's are your family. And our church family has a long history of passing on grace to its youngest members. Same thing happened to me when I was a teenager. 
Same thing happened to Colin in his story of grace. Chances are the same thing happened to you when you were a kid. And I can't really think of a better advertisement to do youth ministry than seeing a room full of people who probably had been touched by youth ministry at some point in their life and hearing Colin's wonderful story about the way that youth ministry impacted him. So thanks for that, Colin. And there's lots of ways you can do this. Of course, there's our official ministry channels, Kids and Youth Ministry, which run on Sunday and midweek. Uh, I wanted to spell a myth that to be a kids or youth leader, you have to be born in the 2000s or later. It's not true. There are wonderful ways that we can teach our children. Uh, We're going to be talking about serving over the next couple of weeks in church, and so keep your ear out for that, or talk to me or Jamie if you would like to know how to get involved in our official ministries. But it's not just the official stuff. It's just being a grace-filled church family member. After the service today, go and find a kid, learn their name, say hello, and listen to them just rattle on to you about some dumb TV show that you don't know exists, and they've got their finger up their nose, and you know, then they run off and lament about the playground not being open. You know? go, and, go and do that. Be a grace-filled church family member who loves our little ones. You can pray for them too. Colin had a room full of people praying for him. Imagine what we could do with a church full of people praying for our young folk that they might come to a saving knowledge of the grace of Jesus. Please pray for our young people. It's a truly wonderful thing to be a part of. Passing on the grace of Jesus to the next generation and enabling them to be strong in grace. In fact, God's wonderfully designed us so that when we do that, when we pass that grace on to the next generation, we are reminded of it and strengthened in it ourselves. What a great way to build others and yourself up. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and pass on that grace to the next generation. All seems relatively simple. But in our world where it's tricky being a Christian, it's hard being a young Christian, it's hard watching the world spin by as a young Christian. How do we push on in the faith together? How do we progress in grace? Well, first of all, taking a leaf out of Paul's book, don't sugarcoat it. Yes, being a Christian is really good. It's amazing. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me, right? The grace of Jesus gives me new life and a deeper love that I can share with both God and others, not because of anything I've done, but because of his love for me. That's great. It's the best thing that's happened to me. It's the best thing that's happened to you. But it doesn't mean life doesn't come with its ups and downs. It's not going to be easy. In verse 3, Paul says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Being a Christian is going to bring suffering, just like it did for Paul and Timothy. But it's not all for nothing. It's not all just too bad. That's, that's how life is. Suck it up. Paul, in fact, uses three images to show us what this suffering is like. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And you see the, the thing in common across these three images. All of them give up something now and work hard for a greater cause in the future. 
A soldier puts his own needs and even his own safety aside as he obeys his commanding officer. And he does this to help tip the scales in their favour to win the war. An athlete works hard, gets up early, trains and sweats, not for the sake of fitness, but to win the champion's crown. And a farmer gets up early, tills, sows, weeds, waters and waits, all with the expectation that that crop will grow and he will have both food to eat and food to sell. Our eyes need to be fixed on the bigger picture, on what's to come. We don't follow Jesus now and suffer for the gospel just because that's how it is. We suffer because greater things are coming that this world cannot comprehend. We're waiting for Jesus to come and make all things new, to turn this place upside down. We're waiting for a time where we will experience his grace in a profound new way. Think about what Paul's telling Timothy here. He says, suffer with me, and then gives him these examples. None of these examples are done alone, are they? A soldier sacrifices his own needs alongside a band of others. Whether private, captain, or major, they work together towards their goal. And an athlete won't get far by training themselves. They need a coach to train them, correct their technique, push them, and keep them going when they want to give up. A coach who's been there before. And a farmer will accomplish little on his own. The more help he has, the more he can plant, care for, and harvest. We don't do the Christian life alone. Not our young people, not our less young people. We strengthen each other. We teach one another in the face of suffering as we progress in grace together. Now, Timothy, he would have been tempted many times to give up along the way. His church was full of problems. People didn't listen to him because he was a young guy. He had issues he couldn't quite get on top of. And so Paul reminds him why he can continue even in the face of all of this. In verse 8, have a look. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah from God, raised in victory from the grave. We worship a God who has sealed victory over sin and death. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. No matter how many Christian CEOs step down from their position, no matter how many state premiers say mean things about Christians, no matter how many culture movements happen away from church and away from God's word, no matter how many Christians might end up getting put in chains, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, God's word is not changed. Those truths stand true even in a world that we might struggle to comprehend. Even when we're nervous about what's happening, those truths hold firm. We don't sacrifice and fight like soldiers who are always on the cusp of losing or winning the war. We fight beside one another for a God who's already won. We don't sweat and train for an event that we might not win if we don't put in enough effort and try our best. We are promised the crown of victory. And we don't farm in fear of drought or storm or fire. We work knowing that there will be a full 
harvest. Jesus has won. His word does not fail. And that means when we suffer for the gospel, we rally each other with the promises of King Jesus. We don't throw our hands up and say, our society's gone, we're not getting it back. That doesn't help our young people. That doesn't help us. We focus on the victory of Jesus. His promises stay true. There is nothing in this world that can separate us from his love. There is no power which can overthrow his kingdom. Not even a moment of doubt or unfaithfulness inside each of us could stop Jesus keeping his promises. Not even a moment of unfaithfulness from Timothy could stop Jesus using him in profound ways. And he had moments of weakness. He needed to be reminded by Paul, focus on the gospel. Flee the sins of youth. Keep at it. This young leader felt unsure as he followed Jesus in hard times. Times that were far more hostile than our own. And we'll fall unsure too. But the faithfulness and victory of Jesus means that we can be strong in grace. We can pass on that grace and we can progress in grace even if we stumble. The promises of Jesus stand firm. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Paul finishes off with a nice little poem in this section. So I thought we might finish off just by reading it as well. Have a look there in verse 11. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. It's tough being young. Now, young people need you to push them to remember that in our faithlessness, he is faithful. He has secured that victory over the grave. So, why don't you pray with me as we finish up this morning? Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Timothy and the way that grace captured him. We do pray that we might be like Timothy and be strong in the grace that is in Christ. That we might hold on to that wonderful truth that we are called yours, not through anything we have done, but through you alone. Lord, give us strength as we pass on this grace to the next generation. Help us not get lost in fear or worry, but help us hold firm to that victory that you've obtained over the grave so that as we teach that next generation, we too might be strengthened and emboldened and lifted up. Lord, we thank you that even when we stumble and we are faithless, you are faithful. So we ask you to be faithful to your people this day. Amen.